Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The two worst things you can be as a prisoner in the Federal Bureau of Prisons or in any prison for that matter is or are a child molester, a child rapist, and a snitch. And Jeffrey Epstein was both. There may have been other people. There may have been other people who had a reason to off Epstein. Welcome to episode 11 of Epstein, Devil in the Darkness. I'm your host, Danielle Robay. On July 6, 2019, Jeffrey Epstein's worldwide teen sex abuse scheme was put to a sudden, dramatic stop when he was arrested and charged with sex trafficking. The arrest was a shock in itself, but no one could have predicted what was coming. Breaking news this hour, officials say multimillionaire Jeffrey Epstein has taken his own life. Epstein took his own life while he was behind bars here in New York City facing charges of sex trafficking. Officials say that his death was an apparent suicide. But was it really a suicide? One of the world's leading forensic pathologists insists that all signs point to murder. In this episode, we'll uncover the truth and we'll hear, for the first time anywhere in the world, an exclusive interview with one of Epstein's fellow inmates at the Metropolitan Correctional Center, a man who actually witnessed Epstein's first attempt to kill himself. Right up until the moment Jeffrey Epstein was arrested, it had seemed his perversions would continue unchecked, with his powerful friends protecting him from justice. As the 2008 sweetheart deal seemed to prove, Epstein had friends in high places. His former chauffeur and his one-time business partner, Stephen Hoffenberg, explain Epstein's mindset in the years after his arrest. Epstein was an arrogant, aggressive guy who was in total control of the situation. He controlled everything around him. He called the shots. He had that kind of demeanor, like he was untouchable. He thought money was power. He could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and nobody could touch him because he had money, he had influence, and he had dirt on all these people. And he was able to control and manipulate everything because everybody was afraid of him. But this is the justice for the rich and the powerful. So that's not what the normal person faces. Jeffrey Epstein was a rich and powerful man. So he got a different treatment. 
Following his 2019 arrest, Epstein's luck seemed to change. He was locked up at the grim Metropolitan Correctional Center in downtown Manhattan, which has held prisoners such as mafia boss John Gotti and Mexican drug baron Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Here's former MCC inmate and author of Kingpin, Prisoner of the War on Drugs, Richard Stratton. MCC is a holding facility. You're there until you're arraigned and until you either make bail or you are sent to another institution after you're sentenced. And it's hardly club-fed. Prison expert Cameron Lindsay explains what Epstein faced inside. I spent 25 years as a practitioner in corrections. I was a warden at five different correctional facilities, three jails and two prisons. With respect to Epstein, here's a guy who's a convicted pedophile, super high publicity. Everybody in the world probably knew that he was a convicted pedophile. He was further being accused of human trafficking, sexual assault of young girls. He was connected. He was almost a billionaire. And he knew a lot about a lot of very important people. So from my perspective, when he first went into the MCC, he should have been single-celled and not celled with anybody else because of his high-profile status as a convicted pedophile. In the world of jails and prisons, it's a badge of honor for an inmate to kill somebody like Epstein. So it made no sense to me whatsoever for him to have a cellmate. There were a lot of people who would want him dead. Epstein was not only sharing a cell, But also, he was placed in what's called general population. In other words, he was mixing with other prisoners, many of whom were awaiting trial for murder, extreme violence, or serious drug offenses. Here's his former lawyer, Alan Dershowitz. These pretrial detention facilities are terrible. They have driven more than Jeffrey Epstein to suicide. I would have thought that anybody who is accused of anything involving underage people have to be given special protections. And he was that, and also high visibility. Very controversial. This is a soft white-collar investment banker putting a very soft investment banker, billionaire, who never faced a penalty of this type in his life into the worst jail environment in America, one of the worst, is beyond shocking. It was all a far cry from Epstein's soft treatment in Florida a decade earlier, where his cell door was rarely locked, and those supposedly guarding him are said to have even solicited him for jobs after his release. At the MCC, Epstein was not only a target for his fellow prisoners, but drew the resentment of the guards, according to his jailmate. The guards didn't like Epstein because he was always asking for special treatment. People would have to call out for supplies like toilet paper and cleaning supplies, and they would never bring it when Epstein asked. Epstein would have to wait like two weeks before he actually got anything, worse than any other inmate that was there. This morning, conflicting accounts about what took place inside Jeffrey Epstein's jail cell. Sources close to the investigation say he was found in a secure area of the Metropolitan Correctional Center, semi-conscious, in a fetal position with marks on his neck. Two sources tell NBC News that Epstein tried to hang himself, with a third person noting the injuries were not serious and may have been an attempt by Epstein to be transferred to another facility. But the possibility that Epstein was attacked by someone else is also being looked at. On July 23rd, five days after he was denied bail, Epstein was found semi-conscious in his jail cell with injuries to his neck. 
He claimed he had been assaulted by his cellmate, Nicholas Tartaglioni, a muscle-bound ex-cop who had been charged with four counts of murder. Tartaglioni said Epstein had tried to commit suicide. Now, for the first time, we can hear from a man who was there as it happened. One time, I heard Epstein's bunky call for help from the guards, and I think this was the first time that he had tried to kill himself. When they carried him out the cell, man, yo, they dropped him on his face, face first. I heard it hit the floor with the loudest thud. I'll never forget it, man, because it was sickening. But Epstein didn't make a sound because he was out cold. And then when they lifted him up and they cuffed him again, they dropped him again, but this time it was on a stretcher. They threw him face down into it. And I could see that his face and his feet were blue. I thought he was dead. Did Epstein legitimately try to end his own life? Or was this a first botched hit? An internal prison investigation later reportedly cleared Tartaglioni of any assault. And Epstein's jailmate insists that his bunkie had nothing to do with it. In any case, signs of an attempted suicide are supposed to trigger changes in how an inmate is guarded. Former warden Cameron Lindsay describes the official protocol. But at some point, it was determined by the Bureau of Prisons that Epstein engaged in a legitimate suicide attempt. So they therefore, appropriately, in my opinion, put him on suicide watch. When an inmate is placed on suicide watch, he or she is removed from either the general population or the special housing unit, and they're moved into a specially designed suicide prevention cell in the health services department. The suicide prevention cell has no protuberances or, or any other physical designs that would aid in facilitating a suicide. Former MCC inmate Richard Stratton explains how Suicide Watch keeps prisoners safe. And when you're on Suicide Watch in a institution like the Metropolitan Correctional Center, there is a guard literally sitting in a chair outside your cell watching what goes on in your cell at all time. And there's no sheets in the room, in the cell rather. There's nothing in there that could lead itself to become instrumental in your taking your own life. So he was being watched very, very carefully. However, just six days later, Epstein was taken off suicide watch in a highly unusual decision. The problem is, at some point, the Bureau of Prisons, the staff at the MCC in New York, made the decision to take Epstein off suicide watch. And we do know that he was seen by a doctoral level psychologist who interviewed him in order to make the decision to remove him from suicide watch. In the Federal Bureau of Prisons, it's policy that only the chief psychologist, not below that level, can remove an inmate from suicide watch. I believe Epstein manipulated his way off the suicide watch, and that was a mistake. Another thing is that if a guy's on suicide watch, a guy like Epstein, and it's only getting worse for him when he's in there, the stuff that's happening as far as more people coming forward, more women coming out, it's not getting any better. It's not it's like, oh, well, you know what, Jeffrey, things are looking good for you, so we're going to take you off suicide watch. No. Why would they take him off suicide watch? 
that's where the warden has to step in and take the special precaution and say, Mr. or Mrs. Mental Health Professional, I respect your opinion, but understanding the totality of this situation, I'm going to overrule your decision. We're going to leave this individual on suicide watch. That's the whole problem with taking him off suicide watch, because when he was under suicide watch, as with every inmate, they are under direct and constant supervision. There's somebody sitting right outside that cell, staring through the window at the inmate 24-7, direct and constant supervision. Conversely, when somebody's removed from suicide watch, like Epstein was, and was put back in a special housing unit cell, okay, so now he's in a cell where staff are only required to check on him once within every 30-minute interval. The only reason they would take him off suicide watch is so that he could be murdered without anybody being there to say, well, we, we didn't see it happen. Epstein was not only taken off suicide watch, but was moved to the nine south area of the jail, a, quote, special housing unit, home to the prison's worst and most hardened criminals. Well, OK, nine south, it is just it's not going to look terribly different than most other floors or units within a high rise within the Federal Bureau of Prisons. But what makes a special housing unit unique is it's a lockdown facility. It's a lockdown unit, I should say. It's a lockdown unit where no inmates are out of their cell, unhandcuffed with leg irons, belly chain, and so on. In general population housing units, inmates are somewhat free to move around within common areas and socially interact and so on. In a special housing unit, that's not the case. It's a lockdown unit. You typically have, depending on how many inmates, but anytime an inmate is moved, you have to have at least two staff members to move that person. And typically it's three. It's all locked down 23 and a half hours a day. They'll let you out for half an hour to walk around in the uh, open space on the unit, but it's extremely high security and it's unbelievably close custody. In other words, there's guards watching you and what's going on in that unit all the time. So Epstein had been taken off suicide watch, but he was still in the most secure and surveilled area of the prison. Or was he? On August 10th, less than two weeks after the move to Nine South, he was dead supposedly at his own hands. We do want to start here with breaking news right now. Sources telling ABC News that accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein has died by suicide. His former jailmate is not buying it. When Epstein came back from the hospital that first time, I think they took him off for suicide watch intentionally. The guards were happy Epstein was trying to kill himself. We'll explore all of the evidence for whether Epstein's death was murder or suicide in the next episode, including why he could have been killed and by whom. In the hours after his death, though, it didn't take long for the conspiracy theories to take hold. One of the major red flags? News of his death was posted on the website 4chan, 38 minutes before it officially broke on ABC News. Here's reporter Andy Tillett. 4chan definitely has a reputation for being very edgy, but this was something else. It was a complete bolt from the blue before any of the traditional media outlets had a clue that he had died. The person who posted it has still not been identified, but the obvious question is, did they have anything to do with his death?
Richard Stratton says that based on his experience, it looks like someone on the inside had to have been complicit. When you're in Supermax, virtually nothing can happen without some complicity on the behalf of the staff. In other words, you can't get out of your cell unless you're unlocked and you're usually in your handcuffs. You can't move around in general population. You're totally under the control of staff at all times, which is why for a guy like Epstein to have supposedly killed himself in this institution when he's, I know they say, well, he was taken off of suicide watch. Why was he taken off suicide watch? He was taken off suicide watch so that someone could get in there and kill him. As clear as day. I mean, it just, it's the way, the way the system works. It's the way the system works in MCC, has worked that way forever. Those who knew Epstein remember how even before his arrest, he had become increasingly paranoid about a threat to his life. Was he afraid that his years of blackmailing influential people and abusing underage girls had made his powerful enemies turn on him? Here's his personal chauffeur. He was afraid that somebody was going to try to kill him. Weird things happen when certain people are involved in certain situations. Strange things happen. Even me coming here today, I was concerned because I don't want to wind up another statistic because I know some. Uh, it just seems that when these people with power and money and prestige, when they're involved in something, they will go out of their way and do anything they can to silence everybody. Epstein's former business partner, Stephen Hoffenberg, says in this case, suicide seems out of the realm of possibility. He was trying to negotiate a deal with the government. So why would a man with $600 million trying to turn state's evidence against the rich and the powerful kill himself? Why? He had so much evidence against the rich and the powerful, enough to probably make some kind of a deal with the government that would have helped his incarceration, would have probably made it more of a way he could survive. If you weigh the facts and look at the events, they do not add up again. Former airport director for Santa Fe Airport, Cameron Humphreys, weighs in. But it would seem to me that, you know, his suicide was awfully convenient. And that the people that he, the lives that he destroyed don't get to face him in court. That don't get to see, to have to face, the, you know, those people. I think that that's, it's so, so tragic. Indeed. Regardless of who did it, there was one thing for certain regarding Epstein's death. It shut the door on his victims' hopes for closure. Attorney Spencer Coven is representing many of Epstein's victims in their ongoing civil cases. Out of nowhere, I got a text that told me to turn on the news, and had I seen what had just occurred, I turned on the news and saw that the news was reporting that Mr. Epstein had supposedly committed suicide in his jail cell. After that, obviously, I tried to reach out again to my clients. You know, their reaction again was skepticism. Can it really be true? Did he really commit suicide? Is he really dead? With a certain measure of, I hope he is, because now he'll never be able to do this to someone else again. Equally, disappointment, because finally they thought that they were going to see some accountability in a public forum where he would have to answer for his crimes and be able to face the victims and have the victims face him. 
So it was a mixture of emotions, I think, on behalf of the victims that, that I spoke with, um, of this, you know, happiness that now this awful person is gone and can never do it again with, is it really true? Is he really gone with, wow, nobody is ever going to be able to confront him and, and he's never going to be held accountable at all, except maybe on a higher level if he's truly dead. Gloria Allred is also representing several Epstein victims. Well, that was a tough day because I did want to notify them prior to their seeing it on the news, either on the Internet or on television or reading it. I was as surprised as anyone else and also angry and disappointed in the system. It failed the victims. It failed Mr. Epstein. It failed the court, which was overseeing the prosecution of Mr. Epstein. Epstein's victims were once again denied the chance to see their abuser face justice for his horrific crimes. And that means his death, however it happened, leaves us with some very serious questions. The highest profile criminal suspect in the country who was under the care and supposedly the protection of the federal jail in New York, the Metropolitan Correctional Center, How could that have happened? Next time, on the final episode of Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, suicide or murder? Once they get caught doing something that could ruin them and many other people, very often they tend to die before they're able to go on trial or or give up all of the information that they have that may implicate other people. Why were the guards not checking every 30 minutes? Why did he not have a cellmate at that time? Were the guards' records tampered with? This is a major, major problem. Epstein, Devil in the Darkness is hosted by me, Danielle Robay. Executive produced by Dylan Howard and Melissa Cronin and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, and Andy Tillett. The series is written by Dominic Utten. Reporting by Aaron Tinney, Doug Montero, Jen Hager, and Marjorie Hernandez. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada. There is so much more to this story, and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, wherever you get podcasts.